welcome to worship at Calvary. We are excited that you chosen, have chosen to worship with us today. And wow, what a awesome, awesome summer crowd. I'm telling you, church, all during the worship, it's just filling up, filling up, come, people coming in. And uh, we have about a week and a day, I think, before some of the private schools around us are starting up, a week and a couple of days, and then about two or three weeks, and all of the schools collectively will be back in, uh, back in session. Colleges are starting up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so uh, let me encourage you, be a light for Jesus Christ. Uh, on your college campus, on your middle school, elementary, high school campus, shine brightly for Jesus Christ. Are you seeing all the construction that's happening next door? I'm telling you, it is absolute. We did a prayer walk over there uh, just a few, a uh, couple months back, three, four months ago. And uh, it was just starting to break ground. And there are literally hundreds of uh, townhomes. There's single family homes. I think 250 apartments going up. Uh, it's going to be absolutely crazy. Uh, Costco is full blast ahead. Uh, Starbucks is open. Chick-fil-A is open. What an opportunity we have to make much of Jesus Christ. And my leaders in the back are saying, Kid City, Pastor David, you're talking. And all right, so Kid City is dismissed. Uh, dismiss all of them. Miss Taylor has a, uh, they have a special service designed specifically for your kids and mine. I know they'll have an awesome time. Mark chapter 9 is our text this morning. Mark chapter 9, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you're tuning in, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, let's give Felix a great a hand back there on the camera, keeping that going for us. And I uh, appreciate his hard work and all of those that are serving in our tech ministry. There are people behind this stage back here. Let's give them a hand. They're helping run everything on these screens, the lighting, the cameras, the sound, and uh, doing a fantastic job. And uh, I want to ask you something to think for just a moment. Block everything out. When you think about uh, what event or what incident comes to mind when you think of the life of Jesus, all right? What's the first thing that comes to your mind, all right? Maybe it's the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Maybe it's one of the miracles, feeding the 5,000 we studied about a few weeks ago, or, or the water into wine, or whatever it is. What's the first thing you think about when you think of the life of Jesus? So get it in your mind. And then look at someone around you and tell them what it is right now. So what's the first thing? Look, if you're on the front road, look behind you. But talk, tell somebody else what the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the life and ministry of Jesus. Go ahead and do it. All right. The life and ministry of Jesus. Okay. I had a ch chance in 2019 to travel to Israel. Life-changing. Uh, I tell my wife... When our kids are just a little bit older, I'm ready to take a trip uh, to Israel with our church family. And I want uh, many of you to be on that trip and go and walk where Jesus walked, uh, see where he performed miracles. It's absolutely uh, a trip of a lifetime. So some of you start saving now and preparing. We'll be talking about that in the future. Peter is talking about this memory, and he's talking about something that happened 30 years earlier in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says in verse 16, For we did not follow uh, cleverly devised myths uh, when we, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom... 
I am well pleased. We owe our, we ourselves heard this very voice born, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about this mountaintop experience. That Peter was an eyewitness to the majesty and glory of Jesus on display. And, and he showed his honor and his glory. And it was Peter's perspective, but he's using an emphatic phrase. He says, we ourselves. He's referring to Peter, James, and John, the three disciples that were with him. And I love how Mark, he lays out the events of the gospel. But we saw uh, last month, or in the month of June, how the, the salvation is free for us as, uh, as human beings. But uh, to follow Jesus will cost us. He told the disciples to take up their cross and follow him. It was going to be a, a, a lifetime of following Jesus, choosing to follow Christ with their lives. In Mark 8, 34, it says, if anyone would come after me, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So we learned it's, you know, we can be as close to Christ as we want to. I mean, this morning, as you are following Jesus, we're making decisions every single day to want to be like Jesus, to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to live the life he's called us to. So as we go through the passage and Instead of the, uh, my normal application where we have like several different application points, uh, and every message I, I try to do that, we're, we, I want you to see the, the spirit of what Jesus came to accomplish. See his glory on display. I want you to leave you today with a greater uh, view of who God is, the greatness of God, the deity of God. The, I want you to see how Jesus uh, came down to earth as God in the flesh. And I'm praying we'll catch a glimpse of his glory this morning. I'm praying that it will motivate us to want to celebrate and worship uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It'll a desire to connect with the body of Christ and, and, and grow uh, with other people. I pray that it also causes us to want to contribute, to want to give back and, and serve and give and, and go as a follower of Jesus Christ. I like this note from A.W. Tozer. From his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He said the cause of many of our modern spiritual woes is the loss in today's church of a lofty concept of God. Think about it. Now maybe previous generations... May have had some things wrong. Maybe they had put emphasis sometimes on, on things that weren't, shouldn't be. But one thing about my parents' generation that they really understood is they understood how the Jesus is holy. And we come to worship God in and, and spirit. They, they desire to worship God. And they have a reverence, a respect for that relationship with God and the role that he plays in our life. But folks, I'm afraid today we come to church and everything is so lackadaisical. And I'm just saying, that's our culture today. That's where we are, that we lose the awe of who God is and what he can possibly do in radically transforming our life. Because sometimes we sit back and we think, well, God is just kind of like going to Golden Corral. I mean, I can get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I can, you know, I've told you my feelings on Golden Corral. I don't like buffets. I don't like potlucks. 
because I don't know who made that. You know, anybody else feel like that around here? I mean, I, I'm not sure if the cat lady made that and there's cat hair in that, uh, that casserole. And I'm sorry if you're a cat lady. I'm not making fun of you. Well, we kind of are. But anyway, uh, no, I'm, I'm just playing with it. Don't, I was eating one time at someone's house uh, and they invited us over for dinner. And my wife leeches over and she pulls all this cat hair out of my goatee. And I, I'm sorry I was losing my lunch at that moment, taking it myself. I mean, this is the nastiest thing ever. And it's like, I know it's in my mouth. It's, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And can't stand it, folks. I mean, we have dogs in our house. But, I mean, our Roomba comes on every morning at 9 a.m. And we're going and re-vacuums. I mean, it, uh, we're, we have to get the dog hair up. At, but I, I'm, I, I digress. But the reality is, is understanding the glory of God is so important. Understanding the goodness of God and what he wants to accomplish. J.B. Phillips said this many years ago. He says, your God, in a, he wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. He says, it captures the struggle that many of us have because our God is much smaller than the God of the Bible. You understand that today? I, I believe that in our culture, we've lost sight in the church. We've lost sight of the grandeur, the, the, the bigness of God. We've, we've lost sight of, of how great he truly is. And, and folks, it's easy to fall into an inadequate view of the Almighty. Our aim this morning is to adore Jesus, to worship him for who he is, and a glimpse of his glory will keep us going when we're faced with deep, dark trials, with, with, with tragedies. It will enable us to see God on his throne for all that he is and what he wants to accomplish. Let's look at the setting here of the, the, this uh, beautiful picture of Christ on the mountaintop. The setting in verse 2. Jesus is still in the area of known as Caesarea Philippi. And, and so we read these words in Mark chapter 9. He says, beginning in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. It's interesting that, that Mark mentions the passing of six days. It's six days... Serve, they serve as a time of preparation for the revelation of God. For his manifestation of, of who he was. It's not uncommon for Jesus to take Peter, James, and John uh, aside from, for some extra discipleship. He was pouring himself into his disciples. He was praying with them. He was walking with them, talking with them, sleeping with them, all of those things. As they traveled, they would go every single thing where they sat down to eat, as they went down to go to sleep, as they were on a boat, as they were fishing, they were talking, mentoring, discipling, sharing, challenging them. They got to see Jesus, his faith on display. They got to see him heal Jairus' daughter. They raised her from the dead in Mark chapter 5. This inner circle was invited to be a part of him pouring out his, uh, his heart in prayer on the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 26. So this encounter was for their benefit. Verse 2, it says, we see the, the phrase before them. Verse 4, he says, he appeared to them. Verse 7, God the Father tells them to listen to him. This was going to strengthen their commitment, their faith in who God is. And that Jesus was God's son and had a plan that he wanted to accomplish and use them for. 
Perhaps he also took them to serve as witnesses, according to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. He says, the, two witness, the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Another possible reason was that these, uh, these three were taken to the mountain was because Jesus desired their companionship. He wanted them to pray with him. He needed them for mutual encouragement. And folks, that's why it's so important for us to connect within the local body of Christ and to have people around us and not try to go on an island by ourselves. He said, I can picture myself living on an island. I mean, you ever see those people, they post a, a cabin in the, in the woods and it's all remote and said, would you give up everything if you could have this cabin and, and live in remote off the grid, you know, for the next 30 years and people like, sign me up, you know, or a deserted island, sign me up. But about three days into that, something's going to start happening. You're going to feel disconnected. Over the last two and a half years, we have grown disconnected. We need each other, folks. Church, we need the, 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 the gathering, the fellowship. Matt was talking about this a couple Sundays ago. We need the body of Christ to gather, to grow, to see God at work in our midst. And so Jesus led them high up on the mountain by themselves. We're not told what mountain it was. Tradition says it's Mount Tabor. But this mountain is, is really too low, and there was a Roman fortress on top of the mountain. A more likely location is that of Mount Hermon, which is about 12 miles north of Caesarea Philippi. It's the highest mountain in the whole region, rising 9,000 feet above sea level. It's noteworthy that Psalm 89.12 declares that both Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. In fact, in the parallel account of this very thing, uh, of the transfiguration of Christ is in Luke chapter 9 we read in verse 28 that Jesus took the three up on the mountain to pray and in verse 32 we see that Peter James and John did what a lot of Christians do in church today when it comes time for praying and preaching they fell asleep all right so I mean here they are Jesus takes them up on the mountain I mean he has a purpose He's investing in them. And what does Peter, James, and John do? What's his staff? What is his disciples doing? They're snoring. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, I'll look around in the staff meeting, I'm wondering to myself, is anybody even awake? I mean, is, I'm asking questions, and it's like, you know, nothing's going on over there. I think I, I put them sound asleep. But sometimes, gee, that's what happened. And it was a momentous mountaintop experience if they would wake up. You know, if they would wake up, God was getting ready to show himself strong through the life of Jesus. So it's a glimpse of his glory that keeps them going. Then we see the splendor of Jesus in the last part of verse 2. He says he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured literally is used to describe the changes that a caterpillar goes through becoming a caterpillar to becoming a butterfly. It's a literally a change on the outside that comes from the inside. So we see the splendor of Jesus on display for Peter, James, and John. We could say that Jesus changed forms. The glory of Jesus ha had been uh, concealed in the manger. Now it's being revealed on the mountaintop. And his glory on the inside came gushing out to the outside. One commentator put it this way. He says, for a brief moment, the veil of his humanity was lifted and Jesus' body shined with brilliance. Properly understood, the true transfiguration happened at the incarnation when God took on human form. 
Here we can see Jesus reassuming his own true form. He became on display in such a way, the transfiguration of Jesus was seen in three ways. It was through his countenance, and Luke chapter 9, verse 29 says, the appearance of his face was altered. Matthew 17, verse 12 says, his face shone like the sun. And Exodus 30, uh, when Moses met with God in Exodus 30, it says his face shone. Can you imagine what it must have done on that night? Is his face began to shine so brightly, the disciples were like, I mean, I was talking this morning, and the, the lights are so blinding, I can't see past like the third or fourth row right now, and I'm having to come out and kind of look out here to see who's actually amongst us, and, but the reality is his face was shining, it was beaming brightly, but also shone through his clothing, the splendor of Jesus all affects, also affects his clothing, verse 3 of our text says, his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. The word radiant means to glitter, to shine like lightning. This same word was used to describe Christ in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He explodes with glory. His garments were so white, were so bright, they were shining, they were glowing. He, was, uh, he captured their attention. They couldn't help it. White garments were only worn by priests and kings. It represented purity. The common person walking down the street would never wear white. You wouldn't be able to keep it clean. They were workers. They were servants. So Jesus' garment was bright, sheen, white. It was glowing, and it, was, it stood out in contrast uh, because nobody wore white in those days. And, and you can imagine you, have a, you drive a white car, it shows everything. I drive a black car, it shows everything. So you have to keep it clean. And I love a black car. When it's clean, it's the most beautiful car on the whole parking lot. When it's dirty, it looks just like yours. I mean, I'm just, it looks like everybody else's. I mean, but so you have to keep it clean. You have to have a, a, a thing over here, splash car wash, and I drive through there uh, about three times a week and, and try to keep it looking good. But it, it's a process. White light was used to describe God himself in Psalm 104, verse 1. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, who dwells in unapproachable light. Jesus was glory. He was, his face was shining. His garments were, gl were glowing. He's also, through his companions, as Peter, James, and John are trying to process the change in his countenance and his clothing, we see these companions begin to change and transform. Verse 4 says, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So not only did Jesus appear, not only were Peter, James, and John there seeing him in all of his glory, Moses, from the Old Testament Moses, Elijah, who had gone up in a chariot of fire, come down and descend on the mountaintop at his transfiguration. And they're, they're standing there. They're, these guys are witnessing it. Moses represents the law. Elijah was the preeminent prophet. And it's fitting because in Matthew chapter 5, it says, verse 17, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So you can imagine what's taking place. Here's Peter, James, and John. 
they had read about, taught about, preached about what you know the Old Testament prophets, but now they're witnessing first. I mean, their minds are completely blown. Moses was buried, but Deuteronomy chapter 34 tells us that no one knows where. According to 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, Elijah was taken up in a fiery chariot to heaven. And folks, some of us will be buried if the Lord doesn't come uh, and the Lord chooses uh, to send us on to heaven. Some of us may be caught up together in the rapture to go out. But folks, one thing is for sure, Jesus is coming again. And so what happens is, uh, it says, I wonder what Moses must have felt since he had been for, forbidden to enter Canaan. And now he's standing on top of the mountain, looking down at the promised land. He finally made it 1,400 years later. Woo! Talk about, I mean, seeing clearly. God was allowing him just a glimpse of all that God was doing and all that God was accomplishing. And it shows the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Both Moses and Elijah met God on the mountain and caught a glimpse of his glory. And now they're standing on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're witnessing the, the presence and power of God, his glory, on display on another mountain. Moses all that he accomplished, it's amazing just to see he and Elijah get to discuss all of the things that they prophesied about are now taking place or have taken place. And they're talking with Jesus about it. Mind-blowing. And so what they had prophesied uh, when alive now are being fulfilled. They're watching all that taking place. So it's a glimpse of his glory. It kept them going. And we see the solution by Peter in verse 5. In the presence of the supremacy of Jesus, we see, seen through his countenance and his clothing and companions, Peter doesn't know what to say. What do you do when you don't know what to say? <laughs> what should we do? What's good advice? Well, I mean, we don't know what to say, probably keep our mouth shut. I mean, you know, you ever have someone back there going, I probably won't say anything else. I think you've said enough, you know. Uh, I always talk growing up, you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. I mean, you know, there's a certain uh, etiquette about that. But in verse 5, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. The phrase, it is good, is kind of like saying, this is so cool. I mean, this is the most awesome day of all time. I mean, we're thinking about all the things that Jesus has done. He brought back Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. They're all standing here. Let's make tents to all three of them. Let's, let's make, a, let's make a memorial about all of this. And Peter, true to his personality, was impulsive. But let's also give him some credit. Maybe he was reflecting on the Feast of Tabernacles in Leviticus. And he wanted to put some tents up because those feasts pointed to the final deliverance for God's people. And so perhaps he was thinking of, of speeding along the process of, of what God was trying to accomplish. On another level, Peter knew that God's glory couldn't be contained in a tent, could only be contained in a tent or a tabernacle. So he wanted to make a portable work. Let's, let's worship. Let's build an altar. Let's build a tent for, for Jesus and Moses and, and Elijah. Verse 6 says, For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. 
You ever get nervous and you just start talking? <laughs> I mean, we just start rambling. My wife is like, you must do that all the time. I mean, it's like, but we, we, I'm, yeah, I'm seldom at a loss for words, but Peter was speaking and he was not sure what to say. But then we see in verse 7 the supremacy of Jesus. While we don't know for sure why Peter said what he said, in verse 7 it says, and a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud that says, this is my beloved son. What's that last phrase, church? Listen to him. Let's say that last phrase one more time. Listen, listen to him. This is my servant. This is Jesus. Listen to him. Sometimes God shuts us down so that we slow down and become still before God. Folks, whenever we are all amped up running circles and nervously going around, oftentimes we make stupid decisions based on impulse, based on the moment that we're in and we feel something. And folks, just people say, follow your heart. That's the worst advice you can possibly give someone. Because our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, the word of God tells us. Folks, if we follow our heart, it's going to lead us astray. What we need to follow is Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit who's prompting us to obey, to listen, to understand the, the plan of God. And Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I have this on a plaque above the door of my office so when I'm sitting at my desk, I can look up, and right there to the right, I see those very words, be still and know that I am God. Often, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, I've got to be reminded to slow down, listen to the still, small voice of God, and see what he wants to So he says, notice the word cloud, he's used two times. We need to look back at the book of Exodus as he's giving us a, 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 a preclude, prelude to what's to happen in Exodus chapter 16. He says, as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked forward toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appealed, appeared in a cloud. In, in a, verse 34, it says, chapter 40 says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. One commentator writes, Peter did not realize that the Shekinah glory, the manifestation of God's presence, was already living in the tent, in a tent on earth, in the form of Jesus Christ. He was already here. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and did what? Dwelt amongst us. And folks, we've seen his glory. He came to earth as a babe, would ultimately die on the cross. And the phrase dwelt among literally means tabernacled or tented amongst us. It brings us back to the tabernacle, to the temple of the Old Testament, where God's glory dwelt. And ultimately, the veil in the temple was torn in two, folks. We can enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of of Almighty God. We get a glimpse of the return of God's glory. When the angel announced in, in Luke chapter 2, glory to God 
in the highest. As they were announcing the birth of Jesus, they were giving us a glimpse into God's glory being revealed to man. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. As Jesus ascended from this earth after his resurrection, went back to heaven to prepare a place for those of us who know Christ as a Savior, it says a cloud took him away. And you know what it says in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? It says he's going to come back in the same cloud of glory one day in the rapture to take those of us who know Christ as our Savior up to heaven. Now the cloud of glory overshadows or envelops him on the mountain where everything centers on the supremacy of the sun. The splendor of heaven is poured into a human body. Peter was putting Jesus, Elijah, and Moses on the same plane, folks. That's what Islam does. Islam says Jesus was just a good man. He was a prophet. He was no different than Moses or Elijah. But folks, God said, no, this is my beloved son. You are standing in the presence of deity. You're standing in front of God himself. And folks, it gives us just a glimpse of the glory of God. Moses and Elijah are spokesmen. Jesus is the son of God. Let me remind you, as cool as it was to encounter all this, what's more important is listening to the voice of the son. He says, listen to him. We don't have to go looking for visions or experiencing. The voice of God's son is contained in his word. And folks, all of these years later, he's still speaking and using that still small voice of God to speak to your heart and to my heart. He wants to transform our lives from the inside out. And folks, just as he was transfigured, Jesus wants to transform our lives into his glory, his presence to be revealed in us. Let me remind you, as cool as all that was, we don't have to go looking for it. If we'll just look to the word of God, he will make his path straight. He will direct our paths, as, as Proverbs talks about, as Psalms talks about. He will make our paths completely straight. As the disciples process the splendor, the supremacy of Jesus, they try to comprehend the glory cloud and the presence of Mo Moses and Elijah. Suddenly, they are left alone with Jesus. In verse 8, it says, And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them. But Jesus... Look at that last phrase. What does it say, church? But Jesus only. One more time. But Jesus only. That's all we need. That's all we need is Jesus. Moses and Elijah are gone, but Jesus is left. He's put the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's put the bridge between a holy God and sinful man. Only Jesus and Jesus alone can grant salvation and eternal life. In fact, Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is salvation no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men, among men by which we must be saved. Here's a statement we've quoted before. It says, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And one with Jesus is a majority this morning. 
If you are on Jesus' side, if you have joined Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, he has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us victory. Nicholas Taylor writes this. He says, most of the major world religions have one thing in common. They attempt to climb up to the heavens to get to God through doing good things. Christianity, on the other hand, is the only religion in which God left heaven to come to us, to do good things for us in order to bring us to himself. Folks, it has nothing to do with you or me. It has everything to do with Jesus and his desire to come to earth. Incidentally, if you were to go up Mount Tabor today, the traditional location for the transfiguration, you would find three shrines or memorial. One to Moses, one to Elijah, one to Jesus. <laughs> All these years later, they've still missed the entire point of why Jesus came. I mean, they're, they're putting him on the same plane as, as the prophets. They missed the entire message. They should instead put a big sign that reads, but Jesus only. That's all we need. All we need is a relationship with Jesus. Tim Keller writes, he says, when Moses encountered God's glory, he reflected the glory of God as the moon reflects the sun. But Jesus produces the unsurpassable glory of God. It emanates from him. Jesus did not point to the glory of God as Elijah or Moses and every other prophet had done. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. So it was all he needed, but Jesus only. God the Father is saying, the only tabernacle you need, the only prophet you need, the only king you'll ever need is Jesus, the Son of God. It's not Joseph Smith or Brigham Young. It's not Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or the Pope or anyone else. When faced with the splendor of Jesus, Peter tries to come up with a man-made solution. When the disciples encounter the supremacy of Jesus, when, when they see how they, we see how they struggle with the response. But folks, we see lastly the struggles of his disciples in verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Sometimes the Bible tells us to do something or not to do something, and it doesn't make sense to us. But what he was saying is after the resurrection, they're going to understand. Jesus is who he said he was. He rose victoriously from the grave. In verse 10, they had questions. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. To their credit, these guys put the transfiguration in the vault. They didn't say anything. They obeyed. But it didn't stop their questions. In fact, verse 11, verses 12, verses 13, why do the scribes say Elijah must come? And he said, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written the Son of Man should be should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you, Elijah has come. They did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. So, Pastor, what is the application this morning? Some of us are paralyzed by our questions, thinking we have to have them all answered to full satisfaction before we'll fully follow Jesus. Look at this. Some of us are paralyzed by our own questions, thinking we have to have them all answered 
to our own satisfaction before we'll follow Jesus. Think about it. This is, this is the core of Jesus' disciples. Peter, James, and John, you don't get any closer to Jesus than that. They're having questions. They're trying to figure it all out. And folks, the reality is that some of us in this room this morning are, we have doubts, we have questions, we have concerns, and we're thinking, how could, what if, how about, I don't understand. I... Let me give you the 411. You don't have to have everything figured out before you put your faith in Jesus Christ. What you have to do is accept Jesus by faith. He loves you so much. That he died and took your place on the cross of Calvary. Folks, we don't worship a God that's hanging on a cross this morning. They took his body down, put it in a barred tomb. Didn't need it, but just, just a couple days. The word of God says he rose victoriously. All we have to do is say, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe that I don't deserve your glory, your presence. I don't deserve your son, Jesus. But I believe you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And the best way I know how, I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to a, a lifetime, to an eternity in heaven with God for all of eternity. I say yes to Jesus. Do I have questions? Absolutely. In fact, if we went around the room this morning and down every single aisle and across every section of the church, I guarantee there'd be as many questions that people have for Jesus as there are people or maybe more. But the reality is this morning, you have to accept Jesus by faith alone. You have to say, I don't understand, but just as he revealed himself to his disciples, I'm taking by faith that Jesus is the Son of God. He died in my place. A glimpse of glory will keep us going, folks. Let's get a glimpse of God's glory this morning and the greater things he wants to do in our lives, in our midst, what he wants to accomplish in and through this church, folks. Earth cannot hold us back. The gates of hell cannot prevail against a God who wants to reveal his glory through his people to shine brightly in our city and around the world with the gospel. Let's ponder some this morning. A.W. Tozer said, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. See, what happens is this morning, when you say yes to Jesus, 
everything that's been right. So what do you mean, Pastor Evan? All is well with our soul when we say yes to Jesus because he covers all of our sin. When he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And folks, he makes us righteous before God the Father. We don't have to sit there and make excuses for our past. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. It's in the past. It's under the blood of Jesus. And the word of God says he cast it into the depths of the sea, never ever to be remembered anymore. As far as the east is from the west, he says our sins will never be brought back up. So maybe you're sitting here saying, Pastor, you have no earthly idea what I've done. Nope, I don't. That's okay. Because God does. And he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to take your place. To die for your sins so that you can have a personal relationship with God. You get to see the glory of God this morning. If you'll accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I promise you say, I've got other questions. He's got answers. He's got all the time in the world. And folks, you can call on him in prayer wherever you're at this morning, at your seat. In the moment, we're gonna have, we'll be standing down front at the altar. You can come, we'll pair up with someone who can take the word of God with confidence and show you how you can become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. If God is speaking to your heart, do business with him this morning. You can leave experiencing the glory of God, seeing his presence in your life. Heavenly Father, would you speak to hearts this morning?